Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. Uh, my guest is from Ireland. His name is Owen Costello. He runs uh, a podcast himself called the Insulin Podcast, though it has its own very cool Gaelic spelling. I don't know if that's how you say insulin Gaelic, but it's different from, it's spelled I-N-S-U-L-E-O-I-N.com. So, Owen, thanks for coming. Absolutely, Richard. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's an interesting spelling. So, the insulin and insulone, it's a play on words. So, it's I-N-S-U-L-E-O-I-N. So, it's like insulin and own in one. So, there you go. <laughs> yeah, they're doing very good. So tell me about your uh, your podcast. It's all about diabetes, it looks like, and you know, what's, what gets into it. Yeah, so I, just to give you a bit of a backstory, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes back in 2012. So I was 19 at the time, and I suppose much like everybody else who was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, it comes as a massive shock. And it's something that I wasn't personally anticipating because I was always active. I was always healthy. I was always fit. So the thought of ever even associating the word diabetes with myself never even crossed my mind. I was, I was somebody who thought that, you know, diabetics were unhealthy and maybe overweight or didn't look after themselves, how wrong I was, how naive I was. So since my diagnosis in 2012, I have basically realized the importance of health and fitness, exercise, eating good foods, rest, educating yourself about your condition. And that over a longer period of time resulted and led to me setting up my own podcast, which is the Insulone podcast, Redefining Ooh. Diabetes. So what's, uh, how old were you when, you when you found out you had type 1? And how did you know? So I was 19. So I was back in 2012. And it was around Christmas time. And Christmas time in Ireland is a very enjoyable time of year over here, as I'm sure you can imagine. We're big on drinking. We love our parties. We love our bars and pubs. So the drinking age here is 18. I was 19, so I was I was well able. I uh, was going out to, to bars and stuff with friends, and I, I kind of suddenly didn't feel right. And I lost a lot of weight. I lost about 25 pounds in the space of a month. I was consistently and excessively thirsty. I remember I was downing pint after pint after pint of water. And I just couldn't quench this thirst. I was constantly fatigued. Anytime I sat down, I would, I would fall asleep. I had no appetite. And I suppose because I was at the age of 19, you kind of have a mindset at that age thinking, you know, I'm a young, healthy teenager. I'm invincible. Nothing can be wrong with me. Right. And I suppose I justified anything that was physically wrong with me. I justified that by saying, Maybe I'm drinking more alcohol because it's Christmas or maybe I'm going out with friends too much. Mm. And it wasn't until my parents kind of urgently suggested without concerning me too much that I should go down to the GP to get a blood test. And I kind of reluctantly accepted to just to reassure them that, look, 
I'm fine. I'm healthy. Nothing is wrong with me. But lo and behold, went down to the local GP, got a blood test. And a couple of days later, I was woken up on a Friday morning to a call from my GP. He said, is this Owen? I said, it is. And he goes, you have type one diabetes. You need to go to the hospital now. Your bloods are dangerously high. So I was rushed into hospital and my blood sugars were probably eight times what they should be. And I was told that I was less than 40 hours away from a coma. So I got it just in time. Jesus. Mm. What was your blood sugar? Do you remember? It was just under 700. So, (laughs) yeah. So so ideally, your blood sugar, a quote unquote normal person's blood sugar should be between 70 to, I suppose, 140. Mine was just, just under 700. So I was, as they said, less than 48 hours away from a coma. So I got it just in time. I was in hospital then for about four days and then i suppose i was kind of thrown into this new way of living yeah this was what seven years ago about about nearly nine eight or nine years ago now huh Mm. so how long did it take you to uh you know change what you're eating and what you're doing and and take insulin and how did you feel well see I, i i often feel that because i was i was always active and i was always into sport growing up so because of that, I was already aware of the food that I was putting into my body. And I was conscious of that. And I feel because of that, I was almost at an advantage getting type one diabetes as as strange as that sounds. But I suppose I was kind of already in the routine of looking after myself. So I knew the influence that exercise would have. I knew the influence that eating healthier would have. And then obviously straight after because i suppose like the flick of a switch you're told that again a quote unquote normal 19 year old to now a 19 year old who has to inject himself every time he eats not exactly easy to adjust to but i quickly realized the severity of it and i quickly realized that look my health now essentially is my full responsibility because when you live with type 1 diabetes it's almost like you live on a balancing board you have to consistently Make sure your blood sugars are steady. So I think, yeah, I, I, I kind of adapted to it well. Um, I, was, I was at that age where I was old enough to realize how serious it was, but I was also young enough to not be fully, fully set in my ways. So I suppose that was kind of like the sweet spot of an age for me to be diagnosed. Because um, okay. I know how difficult it could be for, for kids and parents that are, that are much younger. So... I quickly kind of took on the responsibility of doing what I needed to do. Well, what are some of the things that you need to do as a type one that regular folks don't even imagine, or even people with type two diabetes, they don't think Mm. about it. So with type one diabetes, it's basically an autoimmune disease. So that means that my body's own cells started attacking themselves for whatever reason. And my pancreas stopped working. So I am fully insulin dependent. So I have to manually administer insulin multiple times a day every time i eat with an insulin pen so which is basically like a a little injection so for somebody i'll I'll give you an example if somebody was to eat a chocolate bar they would eat the chocolate bar and after they eat it their body will break it down it will be released as glucose into their bloodstream but when that release of glucose happens in their bloodstream their pancreas will naturally secrete insulin to counteract that whereas in my body because my pancreas stopped working, I don't secrete insulin naturally. So I have to externally administer insulin. Now, 
if I don't get my insulin calculations absolutely correct for each meal that I have, my blood sugar is either going to go too high because I don't have enough insulin or it's going to go too low and I have too much insulin. So if my blood sugar goes high, basically I will start getting headaches. I will feel dehydrated, irritable, just weak and fatigued. If my blood sugar goes low, I probably have 10 to 15 minutes to treat that with glucose to bring it up. If I don't treat that within 10, 15 minutes, potentially I could go into a diabetic coma. So it's when I say living your life on a balancing board every day, it's, it's quite literal that I mean that. I don't know. I've heard that, uh, I guess certain diets can stabilize type one you know, diabetics quite a bit. Have you encountered that or like, what's your, how do you manage your insulin in the right way? There's no way to reverse type one diabetes. It's you just get it or you don't. There's nothing you can do to bring it on. There's nothing you can do to prevent it. So it's just something that you have to live with for the rest of your life, essentially. But saying that I can eat anything that I want, I just have to counteract that with insulin. Now, because I can physically eat anything that I want, doesn't necessarily mean that I should. So eating various types of food and different amounts of those foods massively benefit your blood sugar, massively benefit your overall diabetes management. So the best, I suppose, a good starting point for people is to have one unit of insulin per 10 grams carbohydrate. So if I was to eat a bowl of pasta, I would have to weigh out that pasta, calculate the amount of carbs in it, and then equate that to the amount of insulin that I need. So let's say there's 50 grams of carbs, I would need five units of insulin. Now, the less insulin that I take, the easier my diabetes is going to be to manage. So that's why a lot of diabetics will opt to stick to a relatively low carb diet because they'll require less insulin. And if you eat less insulin, it's easier to keep your blood sugar steady. But of course, you need to manipulate your diet in ways that are maintainable and that you can sustain for a long period of time. So if you say, I'm going to fully cut out carbs, it's not really going to work because you're not going to be doing that for the rest of your life. But personally, what I have found massively helpful is to eat high protein, high fiber, high fat, relatively low carb. So if I'm eating high protein and high fiber, the two of those can basically slow down the, the digestion of my food and help to regulate blood sugar a bit more throughout the day. It sounds very complicated talking to you, Richard, when, when I'm saying all these things. It is very complicated, but I hope you're understanding it a bit. Well, I mean, so it's kind of a blanket statement, just have that stuff. But to what degree does it help you? And what some of the, like, the specifics you've come up with? Like, do you have certain prepackaged stuff that you'll have at certain points in the day on you? And you have it and that blunts the effect of the, uh, of the needed insulin? Like literally, what do you do throughout the day? So I will generally stick to the same types of food each day because I, I can predict and anticipate how my blood sugar is going to react to those foods. So in the morning, I'll have only protein and fats. So that's generally eggs and avocados. Lunchtime or before lunch, I'll have, say, porridge. With that, I'll weigh it out. 100 grams, that's roughly 60 grams of carbs. So I need to take six units of insulin for that. Now, when I'm taking my insulin for that, I have to time my insulin because if I eat my porridge, that's going to spike my blood sugar faster than my insulin will start acting my body. So I have to take my insulin 10, 15, 20 minutes before I eat so that when I eat, my insulin can hopefully start working 
at the same time that my blood sugar starts to rise. Does that make sense? It sounds like a real, a real pain. I mean, what, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What do you do if you're out and about? Like how do people manage if they're traveling or if they're with friends or at work? That's when things can get complicated for people because diabetes loves routine. It's easier for you to manage things when, as I said, you can predict and anticipate what you're going to be doing for the day, how your body may react to exercise, how your body may react to the food that you're eating. So when you step out of that, it can be very difficult to manage because if you're traveling, as we both know, I'm sure when you travel, unpredictable things can happen at at any time. You're going to be eating different foods. You're going to be going different places. You might be more stressed. It can be a lot more difficult when you're moving around, when you're out of that routine. So for me, from my own experience, I have found in those sort of situations, if I can stick as closely as possible to the foods that I would typically eat, then I can manage things better. But I'll always have to carb count. I'll always have to try and calculate my meals. When I look at, when I look at a, a plate of food, the first thing I see is numbers rather than the food itself, because I now habitually will calculate this many potatoes means 60 grams carbs or this many fries meat or leads to 80 grams carbs. So I'm constantly trying to make these calculations in my head when I see food. So it's easier when I know the food that I'm making. But if I go to a restaurant or I'm on a plane or I'm out for lunch with friends, of course, it can be a lot more difficult. Yeah, definitely. Have you tried um, just like a keto diet only where you don't really have any carbs or extremely low carb? I've tried it and I found it effective, but I found that it's, well, for me personally, I don't think it would work. And for the vast majority of people, it would be difficult too, because the ketogenic diet is, is quite intense. And it's, it's something that you may not be able to continue over a long period of time. Um, of course, it benefits your blood sugar because you're, you're eating less carbs, you're requiring less insulin. But at the same time, protein is going to impact your blood sugar too. So people need to always take that into account. So for me, it's, it's important that people know the, the kind of general information of diabetes. You don't, know, you don't need to know it in vast detail, but it certainly makes your life easier if you do. But just knowing the simple things and how your body reacts to food and how your body reacts to exercise, then you can build your diabetic routine around that in a way. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Well, what's your goal? Do you anticipate there'll be a a cure or a medicine for type 1 in the near future? I would love there to be. (laughs) It would be great if there was, but it doesn't really look like there's going to be one anytime soon, unfortunately. Now, even since I was diagnosed, there's been a lot of advancements in terms of the technology and the devices that we can use to make life easier for us. So when I was diagnosed, I was purely just finger pricking. So I would have to prick my finger to get a bit of blood out to check my blood sugar, maybe 10 times a day. Whereas now I have something called the CGM, a continuous glucose monitor. So I have that strapped to my stomach has a small needle inside it and that's connected to my phone via bluetooth so that's continuously monitoring my blood sugar so i don't have to prick my fingers uh, i can just check my blood sugar through my phone now it doesn't it doesn't cure it but it's, it certainly makes life a lot easier and it, it gives me the ability to see if my blood sugar is on the way down if it's on the way up where i'm seeing spikes patterns trends 
but in relation to a cure i don't know fingers crossed we'll see Ho- hopefully sometime soon yeah yeah, I wore a CGM for quite a while inside of my wife, you know, because we were pre-diabetic. Hmm. And uh, it was really useful to see the patterns and the trends and everything. And I noticed mm-hmm. if uh, if we eat something, you know, that has significant carbs and our sugar goes up, if we go for a walk for like 20 minutes rather quickly, it can bring it down, uh, hmm. you know, substantially. So learn the few tricks, but it's still much more information than a finger stick. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's it. And a finger stick is is just that specific moment in time whereas you can check your blood sugar and it could be at a range you want but it could be trending downwards whereas with a cgm it gives you that ability to to see where it's going did you find it beneficial when you had it on oh yeah because our patterns were totally different like uh, my wife would eat something and her sugar would go way up and then Mm -hmm. crash down if it was the wrong thing you know she wouldn't feel good and mine would go high and it would just slowly come down. It would mm-hmm. take a while, you know. So we had two totally different patterns. And if like, if you stick your finger at the wrong time, you could think, you know, you could eat something and your sugar goes high and then goes low and you stick your finger and you think, oh, my sugar is low, I'm fine. Or it's too low, I need to eat something. Mm-hmm. But you miss the whole curve. And um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like well, at night too, I would see uh, sometimes the sugar would, would below and it would go in waves and sometimes like you know early morning it would start rising you see that effect there's very strange things you know were you just told to try and treat it with diet exercise these kind of things yeah i i, I voluntarily did it um, you know we didn't have our insurance wouldn't cover it but i said you know what i want to get these and uh, and try them so we tried it ourselves and it helped a lot i mean nice. yeah the goal was to keep it as stable as possible during the day so we changed our eating and habits and it really helped you know not to have those uh, spikes and crashes especially for my wife she feels a lot better and a lot more stable when that happens so do you feel confident now being able to do it without a cgm yeah i do um periodically i'll still put it on because you you know you, it's weird even having it just helps keep you eating better because you have it you know and you check it and you're like oh man mm. you know and, and <laughs> And, you know, it was interesting. Sometimes we would go eat at places and we would eat the same meal, you know, it'd be like chicken and rice or whatever it is. And in some places it would go way up and in some places it wouldn't. So mm-hmm. there were certain restaurants we stopped going to because we're like, I don't know what they're putting in this, but it's killing our sugar. So we can't eat here. You know? Yeah, it's interesting to see how you are, re- are responding to certain types of food. And as you say, because you have it on you, that's almost like more of an incentive for you to take care of it because you're going to physically see those highs and lows and it can it can kind of discourage you if you see them so it's almost like getting a constant a constant report card back on your phone being like right this is the food you ate don't eat that again or this is how you reacted try to avoid that the next time oh yeah sometimes you know my wife will be taking a reading and i'll look and i'll see a spike earlier in the day and i said what'd you do and she goes leave me alone you know (laughs) Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. But she she does it for me too. So well good. It's important to hold each other accountable to those sort of things, keep you healthy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So why do you do your podcast? Like what do you get out of doing that and what do you learn? So for me, I had initially set up an Instagram page a number of years ago to basically promote a fit and healthy and happy life with, with diabetes, despite living with diabetes. So I started with that and I used that to, you know, put up photos and give out information and try and spread awareness of diabetes itself. 
And then it came to a stage where I just felt there was so much more to say, so much more to speak about, so much more to tell people and so much more for me to learn about. Because it, with, with type one diabetes, you learn, it's almost like you learn something new every day and you learn more about your own condition, speaking to other people that live with it too. So I wanted to have the opportunity to share my own experiences, share my own insights to people, but also get guests on from around the world who are also living with type one diabetes, who do amazing things despite having the condition. And I call this the insulin podcast, redefining diabetes essentially for two reasons. So I want to redefine diabetes for the general public. I feel that diabetes is the one of the most widely known conditions around the world, but at the same time, it's so widely unknown. Like you'll rarely find somebody who knows the word diabetes, knows that it's actually a condition that exists. But if you were to ask them the next questions about it, the simple facts about it, they wouldn't know. So redefining it for the general public, defusing some of the most stereotypical misconceptions that are out there, but also on the other side. And for me, more importantly, to try and redefine it to a diabetic themselves, because when you live with type one diabetes, because it is so time consuming, it's massively overwhelming at times. It can completely consume your mind. For me, it's important to express to people that, look, you can do anything you want with the condition and it shouldn't hold you back from, from anything you want. Um, I've had some amazing guests on who, who do great things despite the condition. So yeah, for me, I, I set it up to spread more awareness, essentially. Was there anything you learned from other people that uh, has been like really eye-opening to you on the podcast? I had a guest on, I think two weeks ago. His name is Chris Rudin and he is motivational speaker, type one diabetic, bodybuilder, powerlifter, actor, pretty much, pretty much everything you can do, he does it. And he has done all he does despite having diabetes. And he was also born with only one hand. So he has a prosthetic arm on the other, on the other side. So from the surface, it seems as if there are two kind of big restrictions in his life with diabetes and, and this prosthetic arm. But I spoke to him and I had been friends with him in the past and we had a good conversation over the podcast and just his mindset about everything kind of really hit home. And one of the things that he said to me was how when people describe having a bad day, it's never the whole day. It's always just that a certain specific time of that day. He said, when you have a bad day or when you think you have a bad day, it's often just a bad five minutes or a bad 10 minutes or a bad half an hour. And he, he phrased, I can't remember exactly how he phrased it, but basically what he was saying was you have the ability to let that turn into a bad day or realize that this is a bad five minutes, this is a bad 10 minutes, identify that and leave it behind. And he said how in a way we have, again, the ability to choose to be happy. And that's something I always want to be. I think when people be, when people want to be successful, so much of that should be about being happy. And I think how he phrased that really, really hit home with me. So that stood with me for sure. Oh, okay. So uh, I don't know, are there any particular guests that you're looking to get from here on in? Uh, there, are there other nuances of type one that you feel like you still need to learn or, or are you just going with the flow and seeing what comes? Yeah, I think there's no one specifically um, that I'm kind of shooting high to guess. I just want to get every type of person on. Tomorrow I have on 
another Irish diabetic, but she is five-time world champion kickboxing. So no one specifically, just just people who do cool things despite having diabetes and and for them to express and for them to show and highlight how they can do whatever they wanted to do regardless of of living with this condition. Have you had anyone on there that's had diabetes for like 40 or 50 years, you know, type one? Not yet, but I have somebody scheduled who, oh no, actually I had, I had a lady on Amber Clore, her name is, she actually has another diabetic podcast and forties, I believe, but she was diagnosed at age. So she's been living with it essentially her whole life. And she's seen the massive advancements and massive changes and improvements within the diabetes world in terms of the insulin doses, the tech, the syringes, all these things that have changed. So for me, it was good to get her insight. It was good to have a conversation with her because if you don't manage your diabetes, it can obviously lead to extremely bad consequences down the line in terms of blindness, losing your limbs, kidney failure, liver failure, heart attack, stroke, all these great things, unfortunately. (laughs) So it was good to be reassured by her that, look, she has had this pretty much her whole life she has had it before the tech was as advanced as it is but still hasn't yet seen any consequences so I suppose in a selfish way it was it was reassuring for myself to have a conversation with somebody like her who has had it for so long because I'm I'm still relatively new to it I'm not even a full decade in but I will be I will be shortly yeah, I've heard that there are people that have had it for many, many years and they're okay. So it's possible for you to be too. It's a good feeling, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why it's so important for you to prioritize your blood sugar management each day because doing the things that we know we need to do every day will lead to less less of a chance of long-term complications. So it's important that you, you consistently prioritize it. Like most things, everybody should yeah. be prioritizing their health. Well, how do you keep the willpower if there's something that you want to have and you're like, I just, you just want to have it. What do you do? Well, for me, I'm, I'm not going to come on here and pretend like I'm perfect. <laughs> no, nobody is. I'm far from it. And I, I have a sweet tooth, just like most people. So I obviously do have, have the, the burgers, the pizzas, the donuts, whatever it may be. But I just try and limit it as much as possible. I try to understand how my body would react to it how i should take my insulin insulin timing doses this that and the other but yeah a lot of it kind of a lot of it comes down (laughs) comes down to making the the hard decisions each day because i would love to eat pizza and burgers and those kind of things more than i do but i suppose because i understand the severity and the long-term effects of doing these things every day or every few days that in itself is is enough incentive for me to to avoid it but it can be tough i suppose will willpower willpower is a hard thing to have sometimes and particularly the dark winter nights in dublin in dublin that we're we're seeing at the moment when all i want to do is sit in front of the tv and, and eat some food it can be difficult but as i said yeah. it's it's the long-term complications that i want to avoid at all cost what do you think makes it hard in the long term to have type one you know over the years what's what's hardest about it for you Good question. I suppose just sometimes the reality of it hits you and you realize that, whoa, this, I, I'm going to have this for the rest of my life. For somebody who's still relatively young, I'm only, I'm only in my, my late 20s. So yeah, it's, it's kind of hitting me right now as I, as I speak about it. Oh, no. The, no, not that it's a bad thing, but I suppose the reality of it is that this isn't going anywhere. 
And this is something that you always have to be, you always have to prioritize, you always have to manage. And yeah, I suppose the long, maybe just how, how long I will have it. But as, as I'm sure you've probably gathered since speaking to me, it's just part of my routine. I, I just habitually deal with this almost yeah. subconsciously at this stage. Well, it seems like you're faring well with it. And it's, you know, you still have a good life and do the things you want to do. So. Well, yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm probably fitter and healthier now than I ever have been. And that a lot of that will come down to the fact that I was diagnosed because I realize how important it is to prioritize my health each day. And I suppose if I wasn't diagnosed, I wouldn't have the business that I have. I wouldn't be doing the podcast. I wouldn't be speaking to all the people that I speak to. I wouldn't have made so many amazing friends that I have. So it's important for me. And I've always been like this to look at the positives rather than, and it's uh, certainly a negative, but I flipped that on its head and I've, I've made it into what it is. And I'm, it's part of my life and it's my business and it's what I do. And if I was given the opportunity not to be diagnosed, I wouldn't take it. So it's something that I've rolled with. And not even just specifically with diabetes, everybody who lives their life always has their own thing. It, it might not be physical, it could be mental, it could be something that's holding you back or making thing, things difficult. And it's important that you realize that, yeah, it's not easy, but there's always a positive you can take from something, no matter what it is. So okay. that's, what I've, that's what I feel I've done with diabetes. So I wouldn't yeah, take it back if I, if I was given the opportunity. Well, that's good. That's good. So what's the best way for people to uh, find your podcast? Where do they go? Yeah, so you can find my podcast on anywhere you listen to podcasts. So Spotify, iTunes, Acast, anywhere really. And it's the Insulon podcast, Redefining Diabetes. You can find my website, which is insulon.com, I-N-S-U-L-E-O-I-N. And on social media, at Insulon, specifically Instagram. That's kind of my main platform. But yeah, you can listen to podcasts anywhere you like. Okay, excellent. Oh, and any uh, parting words or, uh, you know, people should check it out if they're interested in learning about type one and the ins and outs um, and anything else I should have asked you. Yeah, absolutely. I think if you are listening to this podcast and you have diabetes yourself, you could have a sibling or a parent or a child that has diabetes, or you might just be interested in learning more about it yourself and not have any sort of connection to diabetes. It's a very, very easy to listen to podcast nice short and snappy episodes 25 30 minutes a lot of information in there easy to understand simplified and i get some amazing guests on so it's it's a good listen if i don't say so myself <laughs> <laughs> excellent well Owen, thank you for coming on my podcast and telling people about it so i appreciate it thank you richard greatly appreciate it good to chat with you if you like this podcast please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on itunes You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.